This is an ABC podcast. Welcome to Science Friction. It is 2022 quiz time. We're jazzing stuff up today for the Science Friction end of year quiz show. Quiz vixen, Natasha Mitchell, joining you from Wurundjeri country. The scientists and the science journalists are back and they are ready to sift through the news, the noise, the entrails of the year that was the weird, the wild and the wonderful of 2022 in science. Let's meet our teams. It's the girls. I said it, I meant it, I went out and did it, the king of the Yes, on the boys, we've got the Rough Diamonds, they've called themselves, from Mianjin, Brisbane. Nick Kilvert is environment reporter with ABC Science, but we know him as a snake-wrangling, house-building, rock-climbing wild man with an obsession, as it turns out, for weird animal stories. Welcome, Nick. Hello. Joining us in uh, Kalgoorlie, where he's doing field work, Dr Jacob Martin is a nanotechnologist and carbon scientist at Curtin University with a passion for using carbon for good, not evil. He's finding ways to use uh, carbon to decarbonise the world, as it turns out, and get us on track with renewable energies. And he was one of the ABC's top five scientists in residence this year. Welcome. Hello, hello. Good to have you with us. Let's test your buzzer. (laughs) Joining me on Wurundjeri Country, team number two, Belinda Smith, is a seasoned science reporter with ABC Science and Radio National. She also kicks footies and does animal pun runs. She does. Check out Animal Pun Runs on Instagram if you want to know what I'm talking about. I just have so many questions. (laughs) We've got, you can hear, Dr Catriona Nguyen-Robertson. She's an immunology researcher at the Peter Doherty Institute for Infection and Immunity. She is a ukulele-wielding singing science communicator, a lecturer at the University of Melbourne. She's a facilitator at Museums Victoria. She never sleeps. She talks science every day, 24-7, pubs, schools, whatever, she'll do it all. Welcome. Hello, I'm awake. What's your team name? (laughs) Erotic banana lids. Now, why? (laughs) Erotic banana lids, why? Well, I thought it would be nice if we had a combination of our first names, Mm -hmm. Belinda, Catriona. I'm just going to call you erotic bananas. That's fine. Describes us to a (laughs) T, whatever it means. (laughs) Haven't you just been writing a a story on, what was it, snake clitorises? Snake clitorises, yeah, yeah, speaking of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sex Mm -hmm. on the brain. Let's test your buzzer. Oh, oh seems thematically appropriate. <laughs> well, this is Science Friction. So for each of you, I want to know what's one finding or moment from the past year in science that generated the most friction for you? Nick? Look, the biggest thing for me this year was probably scientists, especially climate scientists, moving over into the activism space. It's a real friction point because... I think that's something that makes scientists, some scientists, very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable, hey. Yeah. It's generated a whole heap of discussion, you know, about what is the role of scientists in society and whether it's okay for them to put their lab coaters to the side and, and, you know, join the picket lines and, and step out of that authoritative, disinterested kind of role. So, yeah, that for me, scientists on the picket lines was the big one for this year. Yeah, it's a really great one. Belle, what about you? So, mine, mine is about Twitter, really. And the moment that Elon Musk oh. took over, mm-hmm. that has just been 
friction, but also very entertaining, but also a bit sad. And just watching it implode from the inside and just seeing it and being part of it is just... It's extraordinary. It is bizarre. I mean, the guy, the other day, he posted a picture of his bedside table with three guns and a, a stack of, you know, coke cans. cans. I mean, that's just bizarre. He's bizarre. What really a tragedy strange. of the commons because Twitter was this wonderful universal platform that connected people across the world. Absolutely. And science Twitter is such an interesting and vast and beautiful space. And to see it perhaps dwindle away to nothing is, yeah, it's quite sad. Catriona, what about you? Your top science friction moment of the year. I mean, there are so many cool science moments this year, but the fact that in Australian rock salt, they found bacteria that are potentially still alive. It's like Schrodinger's bacteria. So they're 830 million years old. And the question is, do we see if they're still alive? Do we open it up? What do we do? Do we grow them? So many questions. What do you think? I think it's kind of cool. Maybe we should break it open and and see. They probably wouldn't infect humans. It's fine. Could they become (laughs) our new overlords? Could they be the next pandemic? God, no, not another one. Probably not. But um, yeah, I think it's really cool. Like that question of, we think they're there. Are they alive? Are they not? Oh, I like that one. Jacob Martin, what about yourself? I really think that the war in Ukraine was very disruptive and uh, and an awful situation. And I guess it was brought home to me when I attended the Carbon Conference in London in July. And we had a speaker from Ukraine who couldn't actually come over because of the war. But he recorded his his presentation. And we were actually able to hear about um, his work on trying to to stop um, nuclear waste from coming out of Chernobyl. And of course, Chernobyl, there was a whole bunch of issues with it, with it being invaded. And um, a lot of the computers monitoring the site were looted. And hearing about the challenges of, of securing a, a site during a war, it was um, yeah, quite confronting. Science in the context of war, what an incredible example. Let's crack on with the science friction quiz. Question number one, are we ready? Here's your first clue. Your ancestors called it magic, and you call it science. Well, I come from a place where they're one and the same. But who are you, really? You'll see soon enough. God, I hope you're not crazy. Question is, which Marvel superhero got a genetic surprise this year? Stone cold silence. That's a good start, isn't it? Jeez. Genetic surprise. Oh, Erotic Banana Bell. I believe it's a Hemsworth, maybe Chris. Oh. You nailed it. Thor? The Australian actor who plays the Marvel hero Thor revealed he had two inherited copies of the gene ApoE4. 15 to 25% of us carry one copy of that gene, but if you have two, and that's 2 to 3% of us, you are significantly at increased risk of uh, developing dementia. Doesn't cause it. But it increases your risk, eight to 12-fold, potentially. So he's taking a break from being a superhero for a while to process that information. He found out while he was making a TV series uh, for National Geographic on ageing and life extension. Ah. Hmm. Would you would you get a test for the APOE gene, Katriona? I think I'd rather not know what's coming. Mm. What about you, Belle? Uh, I already have. Oh, you did? Yeah, I've done the genetic test, the uh, standard swab your cheek, send it in. Get your genome back. Um, Any surprises? um, No, I'm allergic to some kinds of epilepsy medication, but they do warn you. They say, would you like to see the ApoE4 allele, um, or even like BRCA, those kinds of high-risk 
genes and you have to say yes a few times before they actually show you. And of course I wanted to know. So um, I'm all good, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to develop it eventually, like you say. It's just a a risk factor, right? Mm. Question number two on the Science Friction 2022 quiz. What potential lifesaver are we hearing in this clue? Oh, my goodness. Look at that. Looks to me like we're headed straight in. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Awaiting visual confirmation. Rough Diamond Jacob. Rough Diamonds, yep. Is that some sort of launch by any chance into space? Space is there, but it's already launched. Okay, it was this touchdown of the um, the uncrewed uh, mission to the moon. Bow, bow. Oh, NASA's DART mission. Oh, oh. right, of course. Oh, yes. This was humanity's first ever attempt to move a celestial body, and it was an, ex- an exciting success. I mean, incredible. Imagine moving an asteroid. So they sent a, a spacecraft up 11,000 kilometres from Earth to collide with an asteroid to try and deflect it off its path, and it worked. So that's the excitement of NASA, the control room at NASA going, woohoo! It made contact. I'm going to I'm going to question whether we haven't moved a celestial body before because in my physics class at school I was always taught that if you jump up and down you are moving the earth a very small amount. <laughs> Did the earth move for you? Bonus question, what does dart stand for? Oh, erotic banana. Okay, maybe we'll do a team effort here. Okay. Double asteroid redirection test. You nailed it. Yes. <laughs> That's because there were actually, there was an asteroid and its moon and they moved the moon off its orbit, hence proving that they might actually save us one day if a big monster of a meteorite is coming our way. Bruce Willis can, he can chill out. We've got enough to worry about without thinking about meteorites. Plus, hopefully it'll just be quick and we'd just be sort of, you know, that's it, it's all over. (laughs) Uh, Question number three. Who's been singing about space? What is there in outer space? A question astronomers are trying to chase. Earth is a planet going round the sun. Our journey in the solar system's just begun. All the planets... Jacob. Katrina. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I don't deserve that. (laughs) Katrina is, of course, the singing scientist, and she has brought a ukulele in, folks, I tell you now, for the Science Friction 2022 quiz. Does singing make science easier to communicate to all the students you teach? You teach in high schools, you teach in museum settings, you teach at uni. I like to think of the idea of an earworm. Because an earworm just gets stuck in your head and you're singing it always. So if an earworm is about science, I hope that at least like people will hum a little tune or something. And if they're thinking about the lyrics as well, they're remembering some science. Love it. Well, you could be described as an unconventional scientist in many ways because you sing, you dance, you perform, you write, you teach and you do lab work, lab mm-hmm. research. But you are also studying unconventional T cells in yeah. our immune system. So... Why are they unconventional? Why are they important? They're unconventional because most of these particular immune cells that most people study, they recognise the breakdown products of proteins. But the ones that I study, which I call sort of hipster T-cells or unconventional T-cells. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> yeah, but they recognise 
fats and oils, which is a little bit different. And we didn't really realise that they could do that. And, and now that we know, we're like, oh, what do they play a role in? Infection? Cancer? Allergy? Um, so yeah, I'm looking at them in the context of allergy, just because I had an allergic reaction to sunscreen and it was an oil. Aye. Oh, there you go. Mm. There's one oil that I found that was in the sunscreen that I used, but I'm, I'm not alone in that. There are other oils and skincare products that people are having allergic reactions to. You see a problem and you get to solve it as a scientist. You yeah, get to sort of sleuth the answer. Most people would just be like, I'm not using that sunscreen again and leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Science Friction Quiz on ABC RN. Natasha Mitchell with you. Yes, it's 2022 and we're looking at the weird, wild world of science. We've got brains versus brains, boys versus girls, team erotic bananas is Belle Smith and Dr Catriona Nguyen Robinson, team rough diamonds, Nick Kilvert and Dr Jacob Martin. Question number four. This year, the world's largest plant was discovered and it was right here in Australia. Was it... A river red gum, B, a mountain ash tree, C, a grass, or D, a stinking corpse flower? I'll take it. Yeah, it was a seagrass. Yeah, huge, huge seagrass meadow discovered. Oh, God, where was it again? Was it the Caribbean? No, no, it's uh, Western Australia. Oh, Western Australia, was it? Yeah, yeah. Yep, they went out to sample a whole bunch of seagrass and they discovered that they were all clones. So they weren't different. And you reported on it, Nick Kilvert, at least, (laughs) I might add. No, no, okay. Since then, they, and this is is the world's biggest seagrass meadow now, they've discovered in the Caribbean. They they Ah, mapped it by strapping cameras to the heads of sharks. Uh, Yeah, sorry, that's where I'm getting confused. Yeah. Mm. So, but what's unique about the WA is it's actually one plant, isn't it? Yeah, so this that's is right. at Shark yep. Bay near Carnarvon. Yeah, so it's basically a clone in a similar way that, uh, you know, say a, a banana plant is, uh, are all clones, you know, they, they grow out from each other. Yeah, so um, one, one single plant. 180 kilometres, that's 20,000 football fields mm. in size. The largest known plant on earth, four and a half thousand years old. I just love that. A seagrass. Question number five. Oh, Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree. Your lights are shining brightly. Australia has some of the world's largest trees. But we got to vote on our favourite tree this year in the national uh, ABC favourite native tree poll, the River Red Gum. Eucalyptus camaldulensis was voted as Australia's favourite tree, but it was a hot competition. So what tree was voted as second favourite? Oh, mm. Rough diamonds. I think it was the snow gum. You've got it. Excellent. Oh, well, of votes, but not far behind the River Red Gum, 18.11% of votes. And actually, Australia's national floral emblem, the wattle, was number 10. So it just goes how patriotic we are. (laughs) It's too mainstream. Snow gums are under threat from climate change and we're pumping too much carbon into the atmosphere in the form of greenhouse gases like CO2. But Jacob Martin, you're a whopping big carbon fan and, uh, of course, it's a fundamental building block of life. In a sweet irony, though, you're using carbon-based materials to help address global warming, not cause it. How? 
Yeah, no, I think I think carbon does get a bad rap, but when we combine carbon with oxygen and make CO2, that's the big issue because it blankets the earth and stops it from cooling down. But at the moment, I'm working on trying to keep carbon you know, in carbon materials. So stop combining it with oxygen. And when we do that, we can put it into green technology. So all of your batteries have got graphite inside of them. And the graphite is actually critical for stopping the lithium from, from being dangerous. So basically, when you charge up your smartphone, the lithium goes into the layers of the graphite, and it actually turns golden, which is quite nice. Ooh. You might not know that. And then it's safe within the, the sheets of the graphite. And so at the moment, we're trying to figure out whether we can um, use pulse heating to lower the cost of synthetically making that graphite. So that's why I'm out in Kalgoorlie, because they've got quite an extensive set of furnaces. And we're looking at whether we can just cook the crap out of carbon materials <laughs> and term. turn them into, into graphite for your next battery. So I'm interested, you gave a TEDx talk titled, I was a climate sceptic. The three things that changed my mind. What were the three things that changed your mind? So actually, coming back to what Nick said earlier about scientists getting into activism, I, I got to COP26 and, you know, I'd been working throughout my PhD trying to reduce the amount of soot carbon emitted out of engines, which is actually the third biggest contributor to climate change. And so I'd been working on that and also reducing CO2 emissions. But I just got to the point where I thought I've got to do more than just talk about the science. I've got to talk about, you know, the difficult we have just even communicating it. I, I grew up in a small farming community and yeah, we just didn't really talk about um, climate change and maybe you'd joke about it. So it was kind of through being challenged by various different people. Um, and, you know, those people showed me respect. They listened to me. So that was the first thing. Uh, and then they also directed me to really good information. So um, there's a, a website called skepticalscience.com, which goes through all of the major critiques people have on the scientific theory of global warming. But the most important thing that people did for me is they connected what I care about with the climate. So they showed me how it impacts the poorest people and the just how unfair it was that the richest people are basically making the, the world unlivable for the poorest. And also the way it impacts um, plants and, and animals and, and the things that I care about. It's a really powerful example of now you're a science communicator as well as a scientist, but, you know, the ways you need to talk to people to connect with them in mm. meaningful ways to convey scientific information and evidence. Absolutely. So you were, you know, trying to extract uh, or, or reduce soot out of engines. Speaking of engines, what animal apparently learnt how to drive this year. Question number whatever we're up to. Oh. 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 Erotic bananas. Oh. I believe it was a fish. Was it a goldfish? You've nailed it. Yes. <laughs> Tell me more. A, a goldfish learnt how to drive? <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing a video about this uh, and thinking, wow, that's really cool. So there was a tank, a glass tank, so the fish could see out and it would sort of swim towards the front of the tank in the direction it wanted to go and it would get a treat if it got to a certain point. And so over time, the goldfish just learnt to drive 
its aquarium towards food. Because they were sensing its movements yeah. and so that was driving the, uh, basically, a robotic fish tank on wheels. Exactly, yeah? yes, yes. Precisely. Why? Why not? I mean... <laughs> That's the beauty of science, right? Because I mean, science. I, th- I think the Israeli scientists did actually want to understand fish navigation in the wild and this was, uh, well, why not try and understand fish navigation on land? Amazing. It's okay. like an inverted submarine, yeah. really. Um, Nick, you love weird animal stuff and this year you wrote, you wrote a lot of <laughs> about animal sex. What's the most intriguing sex life you unearthed in the animal world? I think it was bed bugs was one of the really weird ones. So they basically, bed bugs that, you know, some of us um, have the misfortune of sharing our beds with, they basically have these sort of wild sex romps where the male stabs his sex organ through the side of the, the female, basically kind of pierces her abdomen that's going on in your bed. There's kind of like, it's a bit of a kind of all in, so, you know, multiple partners sort of thing. And then when she's kind of so injured that she can't take it anymore, she sort of slinks off and uh, hopefully if she survives, she um, she carries her little bed bugs to, to term and, oh. you know, you get more. Bed bug sex. You, you reported actually on flatworms, lobsters, baby ghost sharks, giraffes, bed bugs, yes, octopi, mm. yes. It's a wild, wild, kinky world out there, yeah. <laughs> a lot more interesting than what's going on in human bedrooms, I suspect. <laughs> Speak hey, for yourself. Yep. Yeah, well, <laughs> final question for the, uh, for the 2022 Science Friction Quiz. Ooh. In July, something magical happened. Of course, magic had nothing to do with it. It was all about science. The James Webb Supersensitive Telescope's deep field images gave us the most incredible detailed view of the universe, the early universe, like we've never seen it before. There were thousands of galaxies, birthplaces of stars and planets and colliding galaxies and dying stars. Un. Believable. What did you think, Catriona? Absolutely beautiful. Like, space is real, but it's so just fantastically beautiful and like artwork. The question is, why are some people campaigning to have the James Webb Telescope renamed? Erotic Bananas. Because James Webb was a NASA administrator, I think, back in the day. And it turns out he was a little bit racist, a little bit homophobic. He probably wasn't the most inclusive guy. And in the year of 2022, a lot of people, including myself, think that something so massive as this space telescope should maybe be named after someone not so, I don't know, problematic, perhaps. Mm. Some people are suggesting it should be called the Just Wonderful Space <laughs> <laughs> Just wicked. So you just get to keep the acronym JWST. Uh, yes. Uh, James Webb was, uh, more recently they've been investigating whether he was involved in the so-called lavender scare yes. in the Cold War where government workers, including people in NASA who were suspected of being LGBTQ, were targeted as security risks and fired. It was a dreadful, horrendous time and there's been efforts to document that and investigate whether he was complicit and involved, as many senior figures in governments were. Right. The winner is... You ready? Oh, so ready. We've got we've got Come the on. rough diamonds, rough the boys, two, and the girls, erotic bananas, four. Recount, recount. Well, we are twice as good as you guys. It's the erotic bananas. Right <laughs> well done, folks. 
on Team Erotic Banana, we had science reporter Belle Smith, Dr Catriona Nguyen-Robinson from the Peter Doherty Institute, Team Rough Diamonds, environment reporter Nick Kilvert and Dr Jacob Martin from Curtin University joining us in Kalgoorlie. Thanks to sound engineers Matthew Crawford and Ariel Gross. I'm Natasha Mitchell. We're going to kick off with our science friction summer season next week, but we're going to be serenaded by Catriona with her ukulele. So here are just a few things that have happened this year. <laughs> Science in 2022, oh what a year. The first bioprinted organ was transplanted in an ear. Two new minerals were found on a Somalian meteorite. We sent Dart to Dimorphos to win our first asteroid fight. The JWST showed us cosmic cliffs and the birth of stars. And scientists have decided to send material back from Mars. NASA's space launch system sent a rocket to the moon. Inhaling a COVID vaccine up the nose could make us more immune. T. magnifica is a bacterium 10 millimeters long. 830 million old microbes and so may have been alive all along. The world's oldest DNA was found in a green Greenland long ago. So many great science stories were covered on the science friction show. I love it. Gorgeous. That was the year that was, and 2023, here we come. Speaking of the future, have you checked out the ABC's fantastic weekly podcast, Future Tense? It's presented by my colleague, Anthony Fennell. Here's a taste. Cities have started to take on the role or the properties of Instagram influencers and sometimes reality TV stars. You have to sit down and say, I promise to think through the repercussions of what I'm doing. This is an excellent question. So I think, what is a life form? It's not a message that's going to be popular, but it's a message that needs to be heard. And that message is... Well, you'll never be bored when you listen to Future Tense, the podcast that takes you to the fault lines of rapid transformation. Sometimes serious, sometimes quirky, but always informative and eye-opening. Future Tense, with me, Anthony Fennell, thinking at the edge of change. If you like science friction, check us out on the ABC Listen app. Thanks, Anthony. Science fiction fans, be sure to check out the Future Tense podcast. Bye.